If you'll turn with me in your Bibles tonight, uh, we're going to be in Joshua uh, 24 and verse 15 is, is the first scripture we'll run through. Uh, we are walking through first this understanding of Israel, this being able to um, just grasp Israel's place, their role. I know everybody's like, when we, what time are we going to get to prophecy? What time are we going to? We'll get there. Uh, we got about five weeks more here to work through and walk through Israel's history and to kind of give an idea of, of who they are. So as we're just passing those out, let's kind of review where we've been. I want to just kind of lightly do that right now. When we go through Genesis, we go through Exodus, we go through Numbers, we go through Leviticus, we go through Deuteronomy. What are we learning in those, in those Scriptures? What are we learning in those Scriptures? What is, what is the overarching theme so far from what we've studied in the first two weeks? Anybody? Do what? Okay, so God is building a nation. Why is He building a nation? Okay, what was the promise? Okay, that's the second promise. What was the promise made in Genesis? That's right. So, so the, the, the fight begins between Satan and, and God. And he tells him, he said, you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. And God says, this is the way it's going to go. This is how it's going to wrap up. This is how it's all going to, it's how we're going to get to the book of Revelations. But in that process, also by chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, along that way, we start moving through, we run into a fellow by the name of who? Abram. And now God makes a promise to Abram. What was that promise? I will make you a great nation. In other words, God looks and says, okay, out of all the people in the world, I have chose you as a, as a person that I am fixing to create a nation out of, a nation unto myself that will be the causeway, that will be the, the vessel that I will bring the promise that I made it to Satan in Genesis to fulfillment. So everything that works through the Bible is, is prophetic in the fact that it's trying to get you to the next place of the promise. And so you're always working. Even when we get the revelations, what are we doing? We're trying to get to the end of the promise. We're still working toward the end of the promise. You have to see them as, as books that run together. When we talk about uh, Genesis and, and when we talk about Exodus and we talk about, uh, like I said, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, we're talking about the, the start of a nation, the forming of a nation that God has promised, and now they've come through. And we talked about last week the three things that you got to have to be a nation. Anybody got those? You got to have people, and you got to have money, and you got to have laws. And so when we, when we study Deuteronomy and we study Numbers and Leviticus, what are we getting? We're getting laws. We're, we're, we're getting the way we do things. You can't eat boiled shrimp. 
You, 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 certain things you can't do. There's certain things you can do. Uh, uh, certain, certain ways you clean your house. It was all the way down to if you found mold in your house, how you dealt with it and, and how you were supposed. It, it was, it was uh, meticulous how God was saying, I am going to make you a people who follow after me, who watch after me, who come after me. And so in this, we see that God creates this nation. Now, Deuteronomy is what we call the, the second reading or the repeat. So this is Moses' last speaking to his people. This is his last time, and he's rehearsing in their ears because he's fixing to do what? He's fixing to go up on the mountain and die. And Joshua is fixing to take over. And so all of this is taking place in Deuteronomy, and then we move into our series tonight as we read from the Joshua, Joshua 24, verse 15. Let's use that as our main text. So here's what it says. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose hand in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the we will serve the Lord. This is, this is the, the testament of the book of Joshua. Joshua is now in charge. Moses has died. And so here we go. Let's go in. Let's, let's go in. Let's do it. The group before them could not do it. The group before them was, was too afraid. They were still in bondage to Egypt. They kept wanting to go back and get cucumbers and wanting to go back and get leeks and wanting to go back. And, 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 and they wouldn't follow God into the new promise. So God let them wander for 400 or 40 years. And, and they traveled in that time about 800 miles of in a circle. You think a NASCAR race is something. They did a major NASCAR race. 800 miles, wandering around in the desert until, until 40 years had passed. And God said, now it's time. Now it's time. And I want to show you a little bit the map that you have on your first page. So if we could pull up what the land looked like in Joshua's time, this will give us a little bit of an understanding to kind of because we're, we're trying to connect this to prophecy so they're going to pull this up. There's a couple maps that I want to show you. Okay. So, so in the time of Joshua, when they came in, they, they came across the Jordan and came to the first city of what? Jericho. So they were here. And then Joshua said, it's time to go. We know the story. If you don't, we're not. We're here to tell every single story. But basically, Joshua told them to get their stuff ready. We're going in, and God parts the Jordan. They cross over the Jordan at the highest part when it's when it's overrunning its banks, and then they go into Jericho where they 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 attack Jericho. They don't fight normally. How do, they, how do they fight Jericho? They walk around quietly, and then on the seventh day, they walk around seven days, and they scream at it, and God pushes it down. This is an incredible uh, a story of people that are that are 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 kind of moving in this 
this context. They are, they are uh, just kind of starting in this. But I want you to see, okay, where are the Philistines? See them down on the bottom? Now, this is important. Amalek, you remember hearing about Amalek in the Bible? Moabs, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Amorites, the Ammonites. All the way around them is this. Judah has such a big area that Simeon is, is inside of Judah's land mass. We see right there Bethlehem and Jerusalem and all of this in the center. Now, I want to show it to you in modern time, okay? Because here again, we're trying to get to where? Revelation, prophecy. So let me show it to you in modern time. So what do you hear a lot about right now? That's this spot right here. That little piece of strip of land is what, what you hear about on the news every single night. Let me just explain this, that if you were to take a, a measurement all the way across and go all the way down, there's, there's very few spots, if any, that's, long, that's wider than 40 miles. The whole land of Israel, from Lebanon all the way down. Look how big Jordan is. You, if we could look, pull it down and we could see Egypt, it would be huge. If, if, if Syria, and of course we know that even further over is Iraq, Iran, Turkey, all the other countries, all these countries hating them, and here they are. The Palestinians are right here. That one little nook, in, and there is Jerusalem that's still under Jewish rule. That is the West Bank. That's where what you're hearing about right now, where Israel is coming into the West Bank and doing what? Settling. Going back and taking their land. Building houses in their land. What had happened was these countries, they had used the, the Palestinians as, as, as basically labor. And when they got tired of them and were through with them, guess where they stuck them? And from then on, all they've ever done is use the Palestinians as a calling card. If we want to attack Israel, all we do is give them rockets and give them, and guess who's right next to them? We don't care if they get killed. How do you know? Because when they asked Jordan, would you take the Palestinians in your country now that they're fleeing? No, we don't want them. How about Saudi Arabia? No, I don't send them over here. You got plenty of land. You got plenty. No, no, we don't want them. Understand, does that... Let me, let me stop just for a second. Let me answer any questions you might have about any of this so far. Any questions? I can see you're just mesmerized. Y'all wanted, wanted to do this. This is it. This is, this is the, the story. This is what everybody's fighting over right there. This, this little thing that's not much bigger than Dallas, Texas. The whole, the whole thing. Dallas, Texas would just about swallow it up. But they are God's people. And if you notice, if we go back to the other one, go back to the other picture, do you meet any Amalekites any, anymore? Anybody ever met any Amalekites? You ever met any Philistines? No. 
Ammonites, Moabites. I think we got a group of them that lived down there in Homewood, right? Moabites? No. Edomites? No. No, all of them are gone. There's only one group that's still remaining. And it's not by accident, we taught that last week, that it's because they had to have law, they had to have people, and they had to have the financing to be able to do what they needed to do. And throughout their history, this is the way God has sustained them. Now, why is this important, Brother Lot? Because go with me to Joshua. Joshua is this book where God shows them the pattern by which we will defeat, we will, we will overcome, we will beat. And they do. They conquer this land. They take this land and, and, and establish all of their cities. Now, why is God pushing out the Amorites and the Philistines? And the, because they are godless people. They are people who are idol worshipers. When, when they heard about Israel coming, they did not say, oh, we're going to burn our gods and serve yours. That's not what they did. And what it did was it gave God the right to say, if they're not going to yield, then you push them off the land. Does this make sense? In fact, remember last week I said that they couldn't go any earlier because the time of the Amorites were not ripe. In other words, they had to get to where they were burning their babies. They had to get to where they were doing certain things. If you want to know what's, what America is, is in the hemorrhaging of right now, and, and people's like, well, why won't God do anything? He is. He is. He's building up and holding back as long as he can until finally when he says, like the Amorites, it's time. There won't nothing be able to stop him. And God is merciful this way. We find this in the book of Jonah where Jonah tells God, I knew if, you, if I went and preached to him and they repented, you would forgive them. But understand, when we talk about the Amorites and we talk about the Amalekites and we talk about the Philistines and we talk about all these others, these are countries that had no desire to surrender or yield or to accept their God. And so God says, push them off the land. I'm giving you the land. In fact, it's already yours because I gave it to Abraham almost 500 years before this. In fact, Abraham's buried on that land, and his wife is buried on that land. He bought land in that time from the Canaanites. That's his land. So understanding this, this is important because as we start to move through and we start to see this, the book of Joshua is this mindset that moves us forward. So here's your homework on this page that you got here. I want you to fill in around this on your paper when you get home. The countries of then and the countries of now. The countries of then and the countries of now. Which moves us to number two. Go with me in your Bibles and let's go to the book of Judges now. Any questions? And here again, I'm not trying to teach each one of these books. I'm trying to get us through to... So this would, this would take a year of teaching if I'm teaching all of this. So, so I'm not trying to do that. I'm, 
I'm trying in eight weeks to get us, get us there. To tell the story, but at the same time, not get caught down in every little story. So when we see Joshua, all the battles, the battles of Ai, the battles of, uh, of Jericho, the battles of all this, is God's people, he has told them, go in. If I had time, we would read Joshua 1, and he would talk about all how he told him, don't turn left nor right, but meditate on my word day and night. Keep, all the things that God said, if you keep doing this, you will make your way prosperous. He said, even to the fact of wherever you put your foot, I've already given it to you, and wherever you put your foot, Joshua, it becomes yours. Nobody's removing you from it. That was the promise that Joshua and the children of Israel entered in. Now, the only problem is, when they got there, what are the three things that make a great country? People, wealth, laws. And laws represent who I love. Laws represent who I'm committed to. Laws represent, so God has given them laws. God has said, you'll have me, no other God before me. He's done all of this stuff. And we run headlong now into this, this crazy book. That for nearly 350 years, the people of Israel are going to go into a cycle and it won't stop. It is a continual cycle of chaos. A continual cycle of just one mess up after another. Can, can you see your papers okay? If you can't, can, we can raise the light some. Do I need to raise the light some? You're good? Okay, maybe I'm just blind. I, I can't see you very well. Like I said, this is not me preaching. This is, this is us walking through a Bible study. So understand, somebody read for me, or let's pull it up, Joshua 2, 11 through 13. And let's read this part. So let's see what happens. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and uh, the Ashtoreth. In other words, other gods, other, other mystics, other, other magicals. They, they, they forsook God. Now, what did Joshua just say in Joshua 24? He said, look, you need to make a choice who you're going to serve. Because God is not going to just give you this land, and when you turn from him, he's not going to let you stay on this land. He's going to bring you hurt because you're his people. You're, you're not like everybody else. You can't just go do what you want to do and expect things to work out well. He, he goes through this long that, look, God will turn and do you hurt. And that 16 and on, the people turn to him and say, we will serve the Lord. The next verses you read when you come into Judges is, and the people did what they thought was right in their own eyes. In fact, it says there rose up a generation that did not tell their children who God was they just quit doing Bible, they quit reading Scripture, they quit telling their kids about God, they, quit. they just got enjoying what they had and thought it would always be here. And number one, on your paper, the first thing at the top of your circle, you can write sin. 
You can write sin. Let me tell you where your problem will begin. Your problem in your life will always begin with sin. Something God has told you to do that you have decided, I don't want to do. Now, you're not thinking it clearly through, of course, because you don't even think you're going to get consequences. That person that, that's, that's puffing the smoke and that person that's, that's doing everything they're doing and that person that's, that's sleeping around on their wife or husband, that person that's doing whatever they're doing, they're thinking, it, it'll all be all right. I'm not hurting anybody. You may be in this room tonight and wonder why my life just doesn't... I love the Lord, Brother Lot. Well, let me explain this. Sin will separate you. Sin will separate you. Well, that ain't what Brother So-and-so said. Well, let me just tell you what the Bible says. You can send your money to Brother So-and-so, but let me tell you what the Bible says because that's going to really work out. What will separate you from God because you've been called as people, you have been called to be different, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, called unto good works. Well, I don't want to do good. I want to do what I want to do. Then there's sin. You say, I can't help myself. Sure you can. It's just sin. There are certain sins that comes easier to you than me, and there's some sins that comes easier to me than you. Some things I would tell you, that, and I think about this, you're like, oh, that's bad. And you tell me, there's some things I think about, I'm like, oh, Lord, I wouldn't do that. So every one of us has our own thing that, that draws us and pulls us. In fact, James makes it very clear. We're not drawn away by God. We're not drawn away by the devil. We're drawn away by our own lust, certain things that we desire. That guy that, that, that breaks into the bank or breaks into that store and shoots three people and rob. He's not wanting to shoot people. He's not. What he wants in his mind is, I want money quick. And, and I want it so badly, and, 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 and I deserve it. And, and they've already convinced, they've done lusted after it for so long that that $150, that $200, that million dollars, it'll make me what I want to be. So it's worth whatever I got to do. I know Hollywood glorifies it and makes it all look cool and, and like, man, we're going doing my thing and I'm getting my thing. No, let me tell you something. It's just sin. It's something that a law says don't do it. I had this fruitcake lawyer on the other day and I was, I was flipping through YouTube or something and, 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 and I just try to keep up with what's going on and, and, and he's standing there and, and he's like, I got a cure for, for all the crime. I know some of y'all may have seen this. He said, I got a cure for crime. And I'm thinking, I got to hear this guy. I want to hear what the cure for crime is. I mean, this, must, this guy's a lawyer. He's, he's got to be smart. Change the definition. I thought, you're a dipstick, a born dipstick. Just change, if you change the definition of it, if you say this ain't a crime no more, then it ain't nothing wrong with it. If we won't, don't want to have all these people that steal locked up, then just say there's no stealing. That way you'll never have a thief ever locked up in jail. Boy, that's brilliance, ain't it? That's the people running your country. 
Let's just change the definition of it. That'll fix it. That, that's, that's what happens to us because we're drawn away by something we want. And we can't figure out why we can't get it without... God says, I put that barrier there because it separates us. When you cross this line, it separates us. And, and Israel repeatedly would go back to this. Which led to number two. Go with me to, to verse 14 and 15. Listen to what it says. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the... Gave them over to the raiders. Let me say it a different way. Because you did what you do, did, the popo showed up at your house. They didn't show up at my house. Did they show up at your house? Maybe because we didn't, we didn't rob nobody. Maybe because maybe we ain't got something hid under our house that belongs to somebody else right now, like their lawnmower or something. I know this is humorous, but... But this is, this is the cycle that we get into. And I guarantee you, if you watch cops or any of that, and you watch them putting them in the cars and stuff, they've got this surprised look on their face like, what? I can't believe you got me. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into, in other words, God took his hand of what? Protection away. God didn't, didn't call the cop. God, did, God didn't do anything. God just said, let me tell you, you got an enemy. All he wants to do is kill you. And if I remove my hand from you and I give him opportunity, you ever read the book of Job, you'll see if, if God removes his hand and says, okay, you can tell, believe me, Satan's not, well, I don't really want, no, Satan has come after you. And if he could kill you, he'll kill you. In fact, God has to tell him about Job. He said, you can do everything, but don't kill him. Because let me tell you something. Satan would have killed him. Would have killed him dead. God said, you can't do that. I know you want to. And when he looks at every one of you and every one of your children and and looks at your life, that's all he thinks. I want to kill you so bad. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around who were not no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, this is back in Joshua and Moses, they were in great distress. So number two in your, in your thing, the moment you choose sin, let me tell you what comes with it automatically. Slavery. You may tell everybody you're doing what you want to do. You may act like you're doing what you want to do. But let me explain to you. You are in bondage. That's all. You are in bondage. It always reminds me of my boy. When when he got 16, we got him a car. And... And we do that for each one of our kids. And we try to do the best we can, you know, to give them the best car we can. Because what it's meant to do is from 16 to they graduate college, it is what has to get them through. And then they can trade it in, sell it, whatever they want to do after that, if it's still running. And, and, and that's kind of our deal. You be a good kid, 
here's what we're going to do. Well, Taylor drove up into school one day, and one of the teachers was out there, and he said, oh, must be nice to have a rich dad and all that kind of, he just, I mean, he just starts laying it into Taylor. Taylor comes home, and he says, dad, he said, we're not rich, you know, we're not, I said, good son. He said, he said, why? I said, here's what you tell him. I said, I want you to figure up how much them cigarettes cost you each week. I want you to figure up how much alcohol you drink each week. I want to figure up how much gas you waste each week trying to go find some fun. I said, I want you to figure it all up. And I said, I want you to look at that teacher and say, figure it up and tell me if you could put that on a car payment every week, what kind of car would you drive? He said, that teacher never said nothing else about his stuff. <laughs> See, it had nothing to do with, he's blessed, he's this. We, we always, oh, you lucky. You're no, if you're going to waste it all, if you're in bondage and you are a slave, you don't get for good stuff. Right. Don't, be, don't be getting all upset when you haul that oxygen tank around one day. I don't want to hear it. Don't be giving that poor mouth. Uh, no, you were the cool. You were cool at the time. Be cool now. Get that limp going with that oxygen tank. I'm bad. Get your belt off and hold your britches up. Do what I want to do. I die when I want to. I know it sounds funny, but, but this, is, this has just got to get in your head because this is what he's teaching Israel. Like I'm trying to teach you, he's teaching Israel this, and he's, and he's using these scenarios. He says, okay, dead gummit. You won't listen. So I'm going to turn my hand away from you. I'm going to remove from protection. The raiders are coming in. They're going to steal your crops. You're going to raise all your crops, and somebody's going to come in at night and, and get them. But then God in his mercy, go with me to verse 18. Then the Lord would raise up judges who saved them out of the hand of these. So God said, God said, I've got this system. I put you here so you'll listen. And when you get to the point where you're crying out again, God, we're sorry. We won't do that again. I promise we won't ever go back there again. I promise we won't ever watch that again. I promise we won't. He said, when I get you there, then I'll send help. We know them as Gideons and Samsons and all the different ones throughout the book of Judges. But what they were were just people that God anointed, Barak and Deborah and others, who gave guidance to Israel. When they had a problem, they would come to these people and they would say, what do I need to do? Well, this is what God wants you to do. And, and, and to protect them, God gave them sometimes supernatural strength. He sometimes gave them incredible abilities. Sometimes he, he allowed them to win battles they never should have won uh, against chariots and things they should never have won. He, he does all this and God says, I'm the one who does all of this. Notice the next verse. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord, verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of the enemies as long as the judge lived. 
For the Lord relented because of the groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused, notice the word, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Number four in your is salvation. They would get saved, they'd go back to sinning. They go into slavery, they would get sorrowful. Verse 18, the bottom one, sorrow. And then they would go back around to salvation. Does that make sense? Sin, slavery, sorrow, salvation. Sin, slavery, sorrow, salvation. This just became the routine. This just became their routine. And I'm going to be honest with you. In my life, in my past, this was my routine. This was my routine. I grew up in church. I could do church. I tell you all all the time, it took much more grace to save me than it did to save you. took a lot more grace. I, I, could, I could fake it. I was still sitting there. I was still going through all the routine. I was still singing in a choir. My problem was I was stuck in, 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 a, in a rut that a lot of people get into because they know the Lord. Because I know the Lord and because I, I know He loves me and I know it this, then, then I start sinning. I get in trouble. I start getting sorry for it. I promise, well, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back. I'm, I'm going to get back in church. I'm, I'm, I'm repenting. I, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I'm, I'm, and God would save me out of it. Now, I know nobody's in here like that, and I'm glad. I'm just telling you, I used to be like that. The thing I said I wouldn't do, I would go back and do. And it was one of the hor most horrible seasons because nothing could move forward. God just had me in this holding pattern and holding pattern. And it was like, God, I, wanna, I want you to play. I want you. And God's like, I can't, Tim. I, I cannot get you any further because you keep going back out of your stubbornness and your what? Refusing to give up the evil things that you have. There's things you got in place, and you won't give them up, so you're stuck. I didn't come out to get on your case tonight. I'm just telling you that this is what God will hold you in until you finally, and you can cry all you want, and you can complain all you want, and you can promise you're going to do better all you want, but until you are serious and God knows you're serious about refusing to play with that thing or, or go in there. And so, so in my life, I, I can walk through, I'm not going to do it tonight, but I can walk through all the things that I had to change about my life or things, places I couldn't go anymore, or people I couldn't be with anymore, or, or things I couldn't, you know, and you say, well, you should be stronger than that. No. When God saved me, He expected me to turn from those things, to walk away from those things. To stop playing with those things. He doesn't force me. He just says, do you love me? And, and Jesus said it perfectly. 
If you obey, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you really love me, at least never told me I, I couldn't date any other girls. At least never told me I couldn't marry somebody else. It was just kind of known, if you want to be with me, you might want to just really take it real serious. And I had a choice. And it wouldn't have been nobody else's fault. So the book of Judges is this book that walks us through step by step, line by line. Now, on the next page, here's your homework again. These are a list of your judges. List of your judges. It tells you who they are, where they're... I want you to tell me what they did. Find out what each one of them did. Some of the stories are incredible. Some of them seem kind of weird. But, but they were judges during the time of this 350-year period in which God used. You know, don't do it right now while I'm talking. Just do it later. <laughs> Some of you are already like, no. So we've walked through Joshua. We've walked through Judges. What God is giving us in this is a broad picture. But remember now, in every section, in Genesis we have a, a promise, in, in Deuteronomy and, and all through there, and, and at the end of Genesis we have more promises to Abraham, and, and, and now we have the laws and we have all of this of, of the pathway God's going to, and now we get to Joshua and, we get, and he's showing us a broad picture of this nation. But why this nation? What, what is this? Well, we're fixing to see the third story. And it's the story of Ruth. Why is the story of Ruth next? Why is the, I mean, got to stick it somewhere, right? Why is the story of Ruth next? Nobody talk to me? Huh? That's right. Now we're getting down to, because, because everything breaks down to the promise. If, if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in all the stories of David and Goliath. You'll get caught up in Joshua and the walls of Jericho. Those are cool stories, but it's, it's not the most. The book of Ruth is more important than the book of Joshua and more important than, than, than the book of Judges. But it gives you the book of Judges and it gives you the book of Joshua to show you corporately what's going on. This nation is, is taking and conquered the land. They have their land. And then this nation goes berserk and starts getting in this cycle of do good and fall off and do good and fall off. And in the middle of all of this, it has a story about a family. God who, who's working with Joshua. God who's working with Samson. God who's working with Gideon. God who's working is also working with this one little family from Bethlehem. God sees all the other going on. He's dealing with that. And then at the same time, he says, 
all right, right there. I need that one. And when you read the book of Ruth, what you're reading is, is, a, is the smaller version of a time in Israel. What's going on in Israel? There's a famine. It's the time of judges. It's, 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 it's chaos. God's not blessing. Why is there a famine? Because God doesn't shut off the rain. It's, it's not a good time. And, and here's a family that's like, we hadn't done anything. We didn't bring this on. We, let's just go to Moab. I showed you a while ago where Moab was. Let's just go to Moab because it's raining over there. And we can grow crops and we can raise our boys and we can... So the book of Ruth is this lady named Naomi and her husband and her two boys who go. Her husband dies over in Moab. Well, okay, but at least before he died, he had two boys. They both grow up, they get married, but they're, they get sick. And one after the other, both of them die. So Naomi now is living in Moab with no male protection, no, no, no patriarch to be able to, to, to help her in that society, to help her get ahead. And she looks at her two daughter-in-laws and said, listen, you girls go back to your people. I can't do anything for you. I've got nothing. I'm going to go back to my people in Bethlehem and probably live with somebody there and, and, and figure it out. But, but there's nothing for us. In fact, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Just call me bitter. His life has made me bitter. One of them says, I think that's a good idea. But Ruth looks at her and says, I've heard you talk about this God. I've heard you talk about, all I've heard about ever since I've been part of this family is you talking about Bethlehem or talking about your people and talking about your, and, and, and she says, I'm going to tell you what. I'm not leaving you. How do you know she talked about that? Because this is what she said. She said, your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. She didn't just say, Naomi, I'm just going to hang out with you. That's not what she said. She, she's, she's been listening. And I, I don't know what her background was. I don't know what her life was like before she hooked up with, with Naomi and her family. But, but apparently it was nothing she wanted to go back to. And, and she finally just said, listen, I got more hope listening to the stories that you're telling me about that God that you got over there and, and all the stories you told me about these great... And, and, and I've heard about the, the judges of y'all's time. I've heard about the Samsons. I've heard about these others. I've heard about the stories of Gideon. I've heard about this. And, and, and I'm not leaving you. Wherever you go, I'll go. And so they come back to Bethlehem. When they get... Bethlehem, they start picking from the fields. Naomi's too old, but Ruth says, you stay here at the house and I will pick. And she says, listen, here's the way it works here, that when they're picking, they always leave some on the edge for the poor people. And if you just go along the edges, they'll, they'll make sure you get enough and you can glean from that. But now don't get up in the middle of the field, you'll get in trouble, but just pick from the edges and nobody will say anything to you. And so that's what she does. And along comes this guy on a horse. His name is Boaz. 
He just happens to own all them fields. And he catches the eye. He sees how hard this young girl's working. He sees, finds out her story that she's taking care of her mother-in-law, Naomi, how her husband's died. And he thinks, it's a pretty sharp lady to take care of her mother-in-law, come all the way from Moab and do that. He's impressed. He tells his men, you don't touch her. You don't bother her. In fact, leave a little extra on the ground so she ain't got to work so hard. When Ruth comes back and says, look what I've... She said, where'd you get all this grain? She said, it was just there. It was just... When she finds out the story, she says, hey, that's our kinfolk. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Boaz. On your sheet, if you'll go with me to Ruth 4, 21 and 22, we'll read first. Solomon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David. Go with me to Matthew, Matthew 1, 5, and 6. Simon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. What are you saying, Pastor? Let me carry you all the way back to Joshua. Because when Joshua takes Jericho, he sends two spies into Jericho, and when they are trying to find a place to hide, they run into this brothel, this lady who runs this house, and I'm not trying to figure out who she was and how much bad she did. I don't know what she... Maybe she just had a hotel. Maybe she... She had more in a hotel. Maybe she did foot massages. I don't know. But she wasn't well thought of in her society. She was pretty much a... And she saw these two men, and she'd done heard the story. It's amazing how you hear a story, and you get to choose who you're going to serve. And it's amazing to me that God could not find people in His own country who would trust Him. Remember, they're in that cycle. They get stuff going good, they go off sinning. But here you got a... A uh, 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 lady from Jericho and, and you got a Moabite woman that they hear about it and they're like I'm all in look at that person beside you and say it doesn't matter where you come from it does not matter where you've been that's the only person that ever mentions that is your enemy the devil will bring that up all he can but let me tell you something God could care less where you've been He's looking for somebody who wants to go somewhere. That's all he's looking for. And if he has to find a Moabite woman, that's fine. If he has to fluke in Jericho and find it. But those two spies that went into Jericho during Joshua's time, they told Rahab, they said, listen now, you put a scarlet rope, put something outside scarlet, and that lets us know we ain't attacking this house. Now, if you don't put it out there, we're not responsible when we come in this place and start killing folks. The Bible says her family and all her family was saved. And I love the story of, of Rahab. I wish I had time because 
she stayed outside the camp for a certain amount of time. She wasn't allowed. It wasn't like she just got, oh, we're just glad to have you. No, she's like, like in a tent outside. Like, like until one day Salmon, I don't know what got a hold of him, but he decided, you know, that woman needs a husband. She, she don't need to be living out there. She saved two of our men. He marries her. They must have liked each other because they had a kid. Rahab and Salmon had a kid. His name is Boaz. Pretty cool. So on your sheets, you've got Rahab. You've got Boaz on the left. And then he hooks up with a lady by the name of Ruth. And they like each other a lot. And I told you, they got married. And they, and they had a child. His name was Obed. Obed grew up. He got married. He had a child. That child's name was Jesse. Jesse grew up. Jesse had a bunch of boys. Eight of them. One of them was David. David's line will continue on until the final block, you see. And that's Jesus. These, these chapters in, these, in the Bible sometimes don't seem important. They don't seem like they're very valuable, but they're very, very valuable. Because God is heading to a destination. And I, and I hope by the end of this, before we even get into Revelation, before we even get to all the, I hope you understand that when God puts His mind to something, let me tell you something, there's nothing stopping what's coming. Nothing will slow it down. It will happen in His time and His way. Jesus said, it ain't in my power, but it's in the Father's power. And I guarantee you, He's got a time and a moment. And when it's time and it's the right moment and the season's right, He'll say, let's do it. It could be right now. Wouldn't that be crazy if right now God said, that's it. We hear a trumpet. Hopefully all of us hear a trumpet. But we hear a trumpet. And then instantaneously in here, People are gone. They're gone in airports. They're gone at work. They're gone in their cars. They're gone. Alien abduction. That's what it'll say. The aliens finally got us. Area 51. They finally broke loose. But that ain't what's going to happen. What'll happen is, is that God says it's time for the next season. And all of these things God does teaches us and shows us how He is getting us ready for every step of the way. Let me wrap this up. Throughout 
the book of Judges and the book of Ruth, because Ruth's story is in the time of Judges. The final judge will come, and, and if you want to know more about him, you can go back into the series I just did on First and Second Samuel. We just had a, a good time. But the last judges that will judge Israel, and one of them in your sheet is not there. He's not listed, but he was a judge. It's Eli. He was a priest and a judge at that time. He stayed in Shiloh. But the final judge will be a young boy whose mother prayed that she would have a boy. She dedicates him to the Lord. His name is Samuel. And he becomes the last judge of Israel. He will be the one who pours the anointing oil on Saul. And he'll be the one who pours the anointing oil on David. He will be the last of the judges. From then on, as we will study next week, we will move into the season of the kings. And there's a bunch of them. We won't name them all. But I will show you what happens in the season of the kings. As we walk through, we'll get into the season of the major prophets, the season of the minor prophets, and how they interact. There are three main characters now that are fixing to come forth in the Bible. And they're what we are to be in the New Testament. It's what we are to be in our family. Look at the person beside you and say, you are to be a priest. That means you're a bridge builder. You are a go-between God and another person. God and your family. You are a bridge builder. If you, in fact, in the New Testament, we are a kingdom of priests. You are, every one of you in this room is a priest under the priesthood of Jesus Christ. So from here on, what we're going to hear about and read about is this full, finally God has the full picture of what he wants to show. There is the priest. There is the prophet. The prophet will always be the one who speaks for God. In our homes and in our lives, we are also prophets. It doesn't mean we prophesy all the time. We don't have to come out and tell it, oh, I've got a prophecy from the Lord. That's not what that means. A prophet is someone who hears what God says and declares what God says. Thirdly, there will be kings. A king is different than the one you're thinking of because in the New Testament when Jesus shows us kingship and lordship, he says, the greatest among you must be your... So our mindset, I'm king of my house. Well, that means you're the one washing the clothes, doing the dishes, right? Because you're the king. You're the biggest server in this whole house. Nobody outserves you. Oh, you do it worldly. See, the way it's supposed to work in your life and in your house, if somebody says, Pastor, how are you to live? I am a prophet. Thus saith the word of God. And I say it in love. I never try to say it to hurt you. I never want any of you to walk out and say, well, he don't like me. He just said, no, no, I love you. I don't want the enemy to destroy you, but I have to speak the truth in love. If I didn't do that, then, then I wouldn't be doing what I'm supposed to do. You wouldn't be doing to your children what you're supposed to do when, when, when well, I want to do this. We, we don't do that. In my house, I had to be a, 
a prophet. My kids will say, let's do this. No, God, God says we can't, we don't need to be doing that. Oh, dad, I'm be dad and me. I'm just telling you, he said it, can't do it. Can't watch that on the TV. Why? Because God says he can't do that. Now let me explain something about being the prophet. Just go ahead and you can write this down in your notes. Prophets always get killed. You want, you, want, you want to get killed in your house? You want to get killed in your family? You want to get killed among people that say they like you? Just tell them what they ought not be doing. You take care of your business, I'll take care of mine. Yeah, that's what happened to the prophet. You get the end. Prophets all, understand, prophets always get killed. So if you decide I'm going to be a prophet in my home, understand, the kids ain't going to like it. When I put blocks on the TV and told my boy, we don't watch that. We can't do that. Not being ugly, we just we can't do that. Then there's priests. Well, guess what? I had promised, I brought my kids to church every Sunday. I, I love them. I showed them the Lord. I, I baptized most every one of them. I led them to the Lord. Today, each one of them have their own relationship with God. I, I wish they had mine. I wish they would grow. I, I'm always praying for them. But I'm, I'm secure. They got their walk with God. They will figure it out like I did. And then thirdly, I'm the king. That means I have to love the best, serve the best, sacrifice. I told you about them cars, you know, that all my kids got. Well, we got to the last one, and the money ran out. We done bought two. We should have just had two kids, and I'd still have my boat. That third kid come along, and she turned 16. We got to have a car. I'm like, <laughs> you can have my truck. She's like... So I had a little, little green truck. She said, no, no, Dad. That's ain't right. No, you can't do it. So we sold the boat. Well, guess what? I have to be the greatest servant in the place. And what you're going to read about from now until the New Testament is this connection of being a priest, a servant king, and being a prophet. Guess when Jesus comes, guess what he is? He's a king, he's a priest, and he's a prophet. He gives us an example of how to walk it out. So as we study this next part, understand this is where we're headed. Don't worry, we'll get to the dragons and all the other fun stuff y'all want to get to. But I hope that we can get there and have an understanding of this people and who they are. Because they're very important as we start to get to the end. They're very important people. We just stand. I want to pray for somebody in here tonight. I, I don't know who you are, and I'm not, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know if I shook hands with you. But God just dropped that in my spirit, and I have to do this. Maybe when I was talking a while ago about being that person that that gets saved from whatever it is, that gets free from it for a little while, gets I don't think about it for a while. I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not enticed for a while. But because I don't put the right barriers and because I don't, I don't separate myself because I haven't made the changes I need to make, Brother Lotta, I go right back into, into sin. 
And sin is just simply this, knowing to do right and doing the opposite. That's all it is. It's not a thing. It's not a something you did. It's just the fact that you did it. It's something you know God said, don't do that. And for some reason you decided, I'd rather not talk to you, God, and have this. But that sin keeps leading you back into bondage. You beat yourself up. You, you ask yourself, why, don't, why am I even here? I wish God would just take me on. I wish... Which brings sorrow. And I would never look at you and say you aren't true and, and, and you mean, don't mean what you're saying. I believe you do. In fact, you may be here right now and you could bow your head and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've, some of the stuff I've been doing. I'm sorry about some of the things I've been saying and the way I've treated some people. And if you do that, let me tell you something. God immediately, immediately, He's not trying to hold you out of anything. Just like in the book of Judges, He immediately raises up. In that time, He raised it up judges. In your time, He raises the spirit that lives inside of you. He raises the strong man that says, I'm back. And you're once again freed. I don't know where you're at in that cycle. Maybe you're right tonight just sorrowful. Maybe you're like, I've asked God to forgive me, but I just haven't put the stuff in place. I don't know where you're at. But whatever the next thing you need to do to get out of that cycle, please do it. God is trying to, so desperately to get your attention because the enemy that you have, he's not going to just quit one day. Not until he gets it all. And so as I pray tonight, whoever you are, whatever it is, don't take it as somebody trying to beat you up or somebody that's picking on you or somebody that just take it from somebody who loves you. And somebody who's given their entire life to do nothing but hopefully help you have a better life. Father, if there is anyone, if there is anyone, God, I speak right now that your spirit is they just in their own way say, God, I'm sorry. This won't work. I know it won't work. Forgive me. Restore me. Let us be in good relationship again. God, as they speak those words in their way to you, I know without any doubt in my mind that right now anything that's between you and them is erased. Now, God, give them the courage and the boldness to go home or to, or, or, or to check whatever it is they got to deal with or go talk to whoever it is they got. Whatever it is they got to do, let them not stay in the cycle. They got to put barriers and roadblocks. If they got to put people in their life to hold them account, whatever they got to do, I'm talking about just take it as serious as death. 
God, let them do it. And I thank you for it right now. For you who has given all so that we can go free. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go give that old devil fits.